Good afternoon and welcome to the uh, Global Talent Sports World's Insight uh, podcast. I'm today joined by Kevin Routledge, uh, the chairman for the Leicester Riders, uh, Jeremy Thompson, who's uh, CEO at K2. We're joined also by Antonio Maceros, who is uh, the scout for the Los Angeles Lakers in Europe. And of course, our own co-founders, Sunil Bhardwaj and Gabby Triban. Um, today, we're going to be discussing, as everybody else is, the impacts on coronavirus on our industries and how this is uh, affecting us as um, sports professionals and the models and organizations that kind of run our sectors. Um, with a little bit of a take on technology and the innovations to, to possibly emerge from this period. So... I'll start it off uh, and kind of give it a little bit of an open forum. We're, we're going to start by discussing the impacts of the coronavirus and the COVID-19 pandemic um, from two different perspectives. One from a professional and kind of global perspective and two from a local, more community uh, level. And so I'll, I'll invite uh, first to give their thoughts, Kevin, um, as a, a chairman of... Um, a BBL basketball team. Um, you probably have some insight onto kind of how this is affecting on the big scale and, and on the smaller community level as well, because I know that the club does a lot of work in the local community too. How are yeah. you how are you finding the 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 whole situation at the moment? Yeah, so um, as you say, we've got it basically from top to bottom. At the top level, we've got a professional club which sells tickets and sponsorship. It has media, media digital rights, which it's failing to provide to our partners at the moment. So we're very much in, uh, at that level, very much, very similar to lower league football, rugby, and, you know, cricket even, they haven't started the season. Uh, rugby league, uh, again, have only recently started their season. So for us, it's about survival. It's about reducing costs, uh, trying to keep our fans uh, and all of our employees engaged. There's something in the UK called furloughing, which uh, most modest sized businesses in the UK are utilizing. Some 9 million employees are currently furloughed in the UK and many of them are in the sports sector. So we have all of our, uh, not all of, but all of our four of our 70 odd employees are furloughed at the moment. We have to continue a certain amount of work, uh, but um, that's, that's all uh, stuff. What we're doing now is trying to figure out how, does, how do we get restarted? When we do restart, what is that going to look like? Are we going to try and finish the current season? Are we going to write off the current season um, and just progress with next season? And there's a load of competing factors that feed into that. I've just come off a board meeting of the league, kicking around the same things and trying to understand, you know, when do we all believe that various government support schemes may stop? Uh, when do we believe large gatherings will be allowed? Because we're a sports club and large gatherings are what we're about. And quite clearly, the way things are structured, um, uh, people are talking about a staged comeback which large gatherings, perhaps the last in the line. Angela Merkel yesterday was talking about the end of August. The mayor of Los Angeles was talking about 
no large gatherings in 2020, and you'll get a load of uh, other people speculating on the same. So at that level, we're, we're in a very similar state. It's about survival. Uh, mm -hmm. we've, we've sought help from government, um, as you do. Government, of course, have got everybody coming at them in every possible direction, all with their hand out, looking for support. But it doesn't matter what sector. I was even told um, by someone uh, in government that the jewelry sector in the UK was making special pleadings on how they were impacted by coronavirus. So we've got it at that level. We also have a charity, as you said, which is out in the community. All that work is done. Um, we have a couple of government-funded projects, which they've asked us to keep going, but it's only involving a handful of our staff who are continuing. And most of what they're doing is interacting with the community online. So work that we're doing with apprentices, work we're doing that are more education-related, we're trying to do that work online. Not very effectively, but uh, we're getting it done. And then we have an academy. Um, the academy has two sides to it, which is the sporting side, which we look after, but we also have the education side. And again, we're trying to keep the education side going because these young people who are basketball players have to finish their coursework in order to get a qualification so that they can go on to either uh, college, university, or even off to the US. So again, we have a couple of staff just trying to get the kids so they submit their um, final, final uh, documents into the system so they come out with their education. And then the final part of our business is we run at a, a venue where the riders play, but it's also a entertainment venue, mm -hmm. community sports venue and so on. By government dictate that, that is closed. So at the moment, we're um, again, looking at what opportunities there is. There's been various discussions on how our arena will be used as an interim facility, which again, many sports facilities are being used around the, around the world, like Real Madrid, Tottenham, and so on. Um, and we've had those discussions with the National Health Service and other, and, uh, and other people on possible uh, uses of it. I mean, we're taking this, I mentioned this to Sunil, as a timeout. You don't normally in life get a timeout. When you're in business, it's on to the next meeting, on to mm -hmm. the next strategy. You got people coming at you, customers coming at you, uh, employees, suppliers, fans, and so on. Uh, rarely do you get a timeout. And that's a pretty good opportunity to re-look at some of the things you're doing, uh, the stuff you've been putting off for a rainy day. Well, yeah. guess what? It's sunny outside, but it's a rainy day so that's really interesting, especially the fact that as a, a sports entity, you're also having to get involved with education in the community as well and help the, the younger players along. I'm, I'm interested to hear, um, if you will, Jeremy, your thoughts on uh, maybe where, where your insights are as, as sports marketing kind of uh, information and data. Um, what the future uh, kind of looks like for, for clubs like the Leicester Riders and the impacts that they'll have. Do you have any thoughts on, on where, where that stands? Yes, uh, sure. And apologies for disappearing for a second there. I've got a, uh, a one and three year old on, on site. Uh, so we've all seen the classic clips. I'm trying to, I'm trying to avoid that. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we've got some interesting perspectives. I think uh, time out is, uh, is a good expression. Um, I, don't, I don't think ever in my professional career, my, my background isn't in sports, it's in um, business intelligence, uh, data analytics across a, a range of fields. Um, and I got into sport about, uh, about um, uh, from a professional standpoint about three years ago. And we're trying to apply um, our, our backgrounds, uh, uh, Deloitte, Nielsen, Cision, we're trying to apply um, uh, analysis principles that are applied elsewhere in business into the world of sport. And we're trying to specifically help rights holders position their, their rights and their assets uh, using data um, and we're trying to I guess upend the kind of traditional black book selling where people are selling to mates or to a chairman who likes the sport we're trying to sell to marketeers who get that if they spend um, their money uh, with Leicester riders they'll get they'll get um, you know uh, access to a very specific audience mm-hmm. um, and they'll get a measurable return on their their investment I guess what we're seeing at the moment is a complete timeout in the world of marketing, the likes of which I've never seen before. And what we've been trying to do is we've been putting out pieces encouraging uh, uh, marketers um, and spe- specifically sports sponsors to keep on uh, investing in sponsorship because there are lots of commentators out there. Mark Ritson is a good one in um, uh, Rights for Marketing, uh, Marketing Week um, who are trying to preach that when times are tough, you should stop investing in the short-term um, uh, uh, kind of bottom of the funnel activity. If people, if customers aren't buying your product, then stop marketing the product, but don't stop building the brand. That, those long-term brand building um, uh, exercises, which sponsorship plays a really important part of, those need to keep going. But unfortunately, um, you know, we are still trying, uh, we do two things. We sell data to rights holders to help them market their, their rights. Um, and we do some selling of those rights um, on, on their behalf. And nobody is really in the market for investing in sponsorship at the moment. So I think, I think for me, I think the biggest concern will be, yeah, I'm sure the athletes are staying fit. I'm sure, uh, you know, they might not be uh, at the top of their game when they come out of the blocks in whenever it is, July, August, September. My, my question is, where will the commercial um, uh, part of the game be? Because I think... Uh, there are going to be, you know, there'll be some long-term sponsors who, and there are many of them have already come out and said they're going to stick by their teams, clubs, uh, the sports, the athletes that they're promoting. But there are others that will use this as an excuse um, to uh, to jump. Clearly, you know, we're going to see a lot of business failures in the next six to twelve months. You know, that is going to have a direct impact on um, on the sport. And I think the one other uh, thing that we're seeing is people reviewing things like their pay TV subscriptions. Uh, you know, Sky Sports obviously yeah. uh, very quickly moved to offer people a, a, um, a payment holiday for as long as this lasts. Um, but, you know, will people review their subscription habits over the course of the next two or three months? I suspect they will. So my, my fear is not for um, sports itself. I think we all crave sports. September is going to be a crazy time when, you know, <laughs> the world will just explode. And you'll be kind of having to decide what to go and see. I think the issue will be, you know, over the next sort of six months to two years, what are the commercials going to look like in sport? And are we going to see failures um, in clubs? There's a lot of talk in the lower leagues in football. 
um, uh, in you know in the Super League and rugby league, you know all over the place. There are uh, clearly there are areas where um, uh, you know people don't have uh, as much money as say Premier League football clubs. Yep, very interesting. So yeah, I mean even for myself, I. Um, I stopped my, my, my NBA TV subscription and then they gave NBA TV for free uh, for everybody to go back and watch all of the old content because it's like what, what Kevin was saying, a way to continuously engage with your audience and community even while there's not so much going on. I think maybe it's good to hear also from a legal perspective. We're joined by uh, Daniel Gee from uh, Sheridan's, who's a, um, a partner in the sports division. Do you have any insights as to what perhaps but without name dropping, your clients might be seeing, are there any uh, specific legal issues that they're, they're encountering at the moment with this? Yeah, no, thanks Samia, for having me on. Um, yeah, there's, lot, there's lots of things. I think like, like everybody else has briefly talked about, there's, um, there's quite a lot of fire, firefighting going on at the moment and there's a lot of um, reactive activity is probably the word I would say. My background very briefly is I, um, tend to two things in, in the, the sports and football sphere. I usually work with a lot of agents and players on the raft of different um, active legal activities and assistance they need. So if it's transfers or contract renegotiations or commercial deals, just as Jeremy mentioned, um, it's fair to say that they've dropped off a cliff um, in the last couple of weeks. Um, but there's still quite a lot of legacy work that brands um, and rights holders have put in, which may be shelved for another day maybe two or three of the things that I've seen, um, especially uh, in relation to two things. One, I would say it would be um, investment in sports assets right now. So a lot of the contacts and clients that I have, one thing that does seem to have whetted everyone's appetite to a degree is, you know, as long as this goes on um, out of crisis, a lot of the time comes opportunity. Um, and I don't want to put a, um, uh, make it sound somewhat cold-hearted, everything that's going on in the world now, which is absolutely crazy and unprecedented. But I think there will be times where there will be um, assets inside and outside of sports that um, current owners might need some um, assistance with, either of that is um, uh, debt um, or equity. Um, and so I think probably inside the next six months to 12 months, um, when particular club franchises, owners, um, sports tech, it's not necessarily just limited to sports in the truth. Those that have um, the ability to be able to access cash quickly will definitely see particular opportunities come to the market. So that's why I think I'm beginning to see um, already from my side only, you know, less than a month or so in um, to, to the pandemic. I think the other side is something that's been quite close to a lot of things I've been doing over the last few weeks, which has been, you know, I think um, uh, Matt Hancock was basically the one that gave it some prominence, which was footballers should be taking a pay cut and doing their thing for society generally. I'm not quite sure why footballers are different to every other types of high profile employees in the world, but that's beside the point or even in the UK. Yeah. Um, but then the issue effectively to do with even the high profile EPL clubs um, chatting or discussing and liaising either on behalf of the PFA or particular agents or on bilateral discussions that are going on between the players and clubs. The issues to do with deferral of wages, to do with um, actual wage reductions over a particular period of time. And also just the normal types of contractual issues where we're seeing a lot of 
on, on, on one side, on the player side, there's over 13% of Premier League players are out of contract come um, the end of the season. In La Liga, in the top division, it's over 25%. Um, and the reason why that's quite important and interesting um, is because no one knows when, just as everyone's mentioned, Kevin especially, we don't know when the season is going to start again, whether it's going to be ended, whether it's going to be artificially ended, whether it's going to be indefinitely extended. At what point is there a cutoff point? Um, and the reason why that's important is because if, for example, there is a transfer window that is supposed to start when the season finishes, there are players that are going to be out of contract before the new window opens, which means they effectively can't be registered. They can't play. They kind of have a harder time finding difficulty in finding employment. And then on the flip side of that, if we look from the, the club's perspective, um, they are under huge pressures, EPL, EFL and below, um, uh, to ensure the season can continue for broadcasting reasons and the consequences that would occur if a season isn't concluded. And all of the other types of things, again, like Kevin mentioned as well, which is, um, you know, sport is a consumer and fan business. If, if fans aren't using that or is uh, delaying their subscriptions, if they're not being able to go to games, if they're not consuming content in different ways, if the types of agreements that clubs have with a variety of their partners, if it's apparel brand, if it's shirt sponsor, if it's corporate, if it's, you know, all of that, those um, commercial hospitality elements, it all unravels pretty quickly. And I think everybody at the moment is trying their best to look for the best case scenario whilst at the same time possibly planning for the worst. Interesting. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think it's, uh, it'll be very telling times when the leagues start back up again to see how many people are actually willing to reinvest their money and go to games, how many people are willing to, you know, bite the bullet and, and kind of get the running start again and perhaps. Uh, be first to market with the new sponsorship, with the new campaign, be to to reactivate um, the leagues. Up. I also think it's quite an interesting point, and we'll we'll go into perhaps uh, one of the most experts in here on on players and their development. Where you said the the EPL players um, are kind of being held to a different standard of uh, other high earners uh, around the world on on what they're supposed to be contributing and whatnot. Um, Antonio from uh, a completely outside of the UK perspective, as a, a scout for you know one of the biggest biggest uh, companies and sports clubs in the world, how have you how have you seen the coronavirus kind of impact your uh, activities? Um, kind of I guess developing new talent, and where do you see the issues going forward for for your work? You know, actually, we are having the the first impact and a very serious one because. Uh, as you know, the, the professional sports in the U.S. Uh, all then uh, are uh, practicing, you know, the draft as the way to incorporate the, the new young talent to the league. Mm -hmm. So uh, the draft is always conditioned to the end of the season. It can be done uh, before the, the season ended because all the teams have to finish their uh, games, their activities, so they can trade players. They can be in the same conditions uh, facing the draft. So at the present moment, uh, we don't know obviously how the, the NBA season is going to finish, uh, whether it's going to be, you know, a kind of resume, uh, what the type of resume, because at the present moment, somebody is uh, suggesting a possibility of uh, creating like a bubble, you know, in, for example, Las Vegas, which is a place it was mentioned, 
uh, where only players, only people, you know, belonging to the event is going to be uh, isolated in a, in a place where hotel, you know, where a basketball ground, where everything will be just uh, uh, for people participating in this event and in a kind of isolation, creating that bubble where uh, you guarantee that uh, no virus can enter. But that's uh, one speculation. Uh, others is decision could be resumed uh, later. Uh, at the present moment, uncertainty is the most, you know, uh, common word uh, talking about this. Before the season is ended, the draft can be done. So we are at the present moment, obviously, uh, working online. Uh, certainly, you know that the, the technology is allowing us to do a lot because there are many scouting services, many stats, many videos that you can do online and also you can uh, hold, you know, uh, call conferences. So virtually we are working uh, at the same speed that we will do if the, if the season was uh, progressing as normally. But the thing is, uh, we don't know how it's going to be uh, for our process for the draft, uh, when it's going to be. So everything is going to change uh, completely. And it's uh, almost impossible to get any clarity on this uh, because I many times uh, listen to people talking about this. But even the experts or the scientists who uh, are the, the, the most, you know, authorized voices about uh, these issues, they don't know what is this. This is a black swan never happened in the past. Uh, maybe the, the, sim the most similar thing was on 1918, that uh, Spanish flu, mm -hmm. uh, but that was a different planet, it was a different life. So how this can be resumed is a complete, uh, um, you know, question. Uh, and for us, in terms of, you know, uh, developing the draft process is uh, um, a big problem because we don't know how it's going to be, when it's going to be, uh, also, we are going to renounce, uh, for example, to workouts or other, you know, um, tests that uh, requires the presence of the athletes uh, for being done. Uh, so everything is going to be changed and is being is being impacted. Uh, and at the present moment, uh, for me at least, is impossible to to give any clue on how this uh, can be resumed. Interesting. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, many people around the world are kind of in the similar position of the idea of when things resume is kind of up in the air. But I think that brings us quite nicely onto the next point. So while we're unsure of how things can be resumed, is there any, does anybody have an idea of perhaps what might emerge from this situation? So for example, back um, in 2008, the world had a, an economic crash and you had lots of uh, companies, banks and financial institutions um, kind of go down. Through that, lots of new technologies and innovations came around to advance certain industries. You had um, Uber made car travel and taxiing accessible for a lot more people. You had Airbnb allowing people to monetize their own homes and earn incomes. Does anybody have a, and, and perhaps we'll go um, back to, to Daniel on this from a legal perspective first, like does anybody have an idea of what or, or any predictions of what might emerge, what technologies, what might come around um, to kind of help resume sports? Well, um, I think one of the things, just as a consumer as much as a lawyer, um, that I was thinking about, and I'd be really interested in everyone else's views on, um, 
was that I think as and when things resume, even if, um, as was mentioned previously, if it's in sort of a hermetically sealed bubble when games can possibly be played, but um, fans aren't going to be in stadium, I just wonder whether there is the opportunity in the short term for an absolute online digital um, content explosion um, for live premium products if that's NBA, as you mentioned, if it's EPL, if it's NFL at whatever time that happens as well, where, you know, I'm completely granted that um, the, the, the live stadium experience is completely un, um, un, it'll be unbelievable when there aren't going to be fans in the stadium, but then sport is still going to happen. But I think once we get beyond that stage, when you have effectively types of levels of captive audience because of either lockdown, semi-lockdown, social distancing, the, the, the type of normality that that effects, effectively brings to the entertainment space is going to be a very interesting space, I think, simply because I think, this is not no inside information from me, is that when those live broadcasts start, if they can be, let's just take the EPL, for example, because that's just the, what they're one of the areas that I probably know the think I know the best, um, then um, I, I think it's likely that almost every game is going to be shown live. I mean, I can't see a reason why it's not going to be. And that's the same for every type of premium good. If you're going to have multiple platforms effectively so thirsty and hungry for content in order to drive advertising revenues, subscriptions, novel ways of doing new things, it feels in the short term that if the EPL can put a a substantive plan together to get those 92 games, I think it is, or otherwise needed, completed by at some point during the summer. You know, you, there's no reason why you couldn't have a, a game or two games on a night at staggered times, which will drive huge audiences. And I'm not just saying that about football, for example. <laughs> the, the analogy I gave is that like three weeks ago on Twitter, there was a marble race competition, which got about 11 million viewers with commentary. So <laughs> you take marbles and multiply. I'm doing terrible, terrible maths all of a sudden. But you see my point, really. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, um, I think I think there's there's a definite point there that a lot of content is going to go uh, online and be streamed in order to to help kind of uh, tie up loose ends, as it were. At least I'd I'd also be quite interested to see uh, where that content gets housed. Um, is there going to be some new emergence? Does Netflix, does Amazon Prime, do all of these guys as the main places where people consume content at the moment, do they start to get involved? Is, there, is their audiences being driven, driven to those directions? Um, Sunil, uh, our co-founder, do you have a perspective on perhaps, uh, I mean, as an innovator with, with a sports tech company at the moment, what other trends do you kind of see emerging from this? Is there any brand new uh, idea that might take the world by storm or are we going to see well, I think in, in fact this this situation with the COVID-19 what it will improve or improve or speed up is the possibility of or the, um, the situation of clubs and sports institutions that always they are thinking and they are trying to be global and they understand that become globally just maybe you know go to China and develop some um, entertainment games or some parts of the uh, official games or try to have 
100 million in, in, in some social media channels, mm -hmm. but they don't really become global in a way of that they are monetizing uh, this uh, global, global presence in, in all over the world. So I, I think that, that right now, you know, that all of us, we know that the, um, the, the percentage of every franchise uh, gets from, um, from ticketing or from uh, revenues that related with the support is, 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 is a small amount related to, to the TV rights. Okay. Now I think that probably, as I said, Daniel, uh, some of the games will be with not spectators and other ones with small spectators and uh, that will, will allow to open the window and see that maybe in, uh, in the, in rather than just to wait long term or in the future, so they will be more prepared to open to, to accept um, fans or, or other ways to monetize the, those hundred thousand or that hundred million of, of supporters around the world in a, in, a, in a real way more you know like now because everything's everybody's thinking that you know you have to be at the, at the stadium to watch the game but now there's other ways you know to 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 monetize your fan base rather than just getting money from your tv rights of course and people who all goes to to your stadium okay you know in the in the past 12 months it was very high you know vr but i think now vr it will keep be a hype in in, in, the, in the innovation in the tech Okay, but I think that right now uh, clubs are really thinking how to really monetize the, the fan base. And when I'm talking about the fan base, I'm talking about global fan base. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm thinking that it, it will, it will uh, help or at least this, this uh, pandemic, it will uh, help or, or develop this, this kind of thinking. Interesting that you, you mentioned VR. I think uh, even from my perspective and in my head where I was thinking about technologies, I didn't quite process the idea of uh, VR being able to insert somebody into the experience of the, the sports event, even from home. I, th I think potentially even from yourself, Jeremy, as well, when you're talking about sponsorship opportunities, uh, activations, rights and stuff, where we're now potentially looking at sports being consumed in a new way does that open up the opportunities for people to get involved i mean if you're watching sports on a vr headset the advertisements that come in could we see check out leicester riders home game when you're if you're watching from the uk and the midlands could you could you see you know business sponsorships and advertisements coming through different mediums yeah absolutely i mean there is a you know, whilst at the moment, you know, all around there seems to be uh, seems to be chaos. I think there there is a big opportunity that will come out of this, which is um, the the opportunity to take live sport to much bigger audiences, um, and the opportunity to insert those audiences into the into the sport. Um, you you know, at one end you've got the likes of F1 and and uh, Formula E already developing games that allow fans to race against um, uh, the stars. You know, live. Uh, on race day, um, I think you know F F one sort of first attempt at getting the drivers to race each other. Um, I'm not sure how well that worked because I think only one of them turned up, mm -hmm. um, possibly because the others didn't weren't weren't I don't know maybe they weren't that familiar with the game. But um, we're, we're we're trying to advise rights holders on how they can. Uh, there's no point trying to sell new rights at the moment. I think that that is just 
you know, for the next month or two, that is a, an impossible challenge. Mm -hmm. We've been doing some outreach. It almost feels inappropriate. We've pulled it back. I think now it's more about talking to existing clients about how they can adapt existing um, uh, relationships with sponsors and how they can help them still reach the audiences that they always wanted to reach uh, and transform packages that were predominantly built around match day um, experiences, shirt, uh, logo, you know, logos on shirts and yeah. so on into digital rights. Um, so everyone's sort of rushing to get their stars um, uh, to, um, you know, create content um, uh, on behalf of, of, um, of sponsors. And I think there's a great opportunity to make all of that much more sophisticated to develop. Um, I, I think that the one other thing that's worth mentioning is, is a lot of rights holders, including, you know, some of the Premier League clubs have been racing to create their own um, uh, digital assets, but also their own, um, you know, I think, I think the sort of future of broadcast rights could be challenged by rights holders taking those rights back in-house um, and, and creating their own channels. I think some of them have already started started doing that. Presumably this will just allow that to proliferate um, uh, and uh, to uh, to accelerate. So I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big opportunity, but there will be a hiatus. And I think the challenge for rights holders um, uh, is likely to, um, is going to be how do you survive the next few months and then how do you transform um, uh, your, uh, your, your rights and your offer beyond that. But Kevin is probably, um, probably best place to tell us that. Absolutely. Well, I, I, yeah, I have, a, I have a slightly different perspective on it. It may be an age thing. Um, all of this consuming online uh, is interesting in the current circumstances, and I can understand why people are doing what they're doing. Um, and that's all about preserving your position, holding on to your fans, not losing market share, trying to get revenues in while there are no fans there. But if you think of the great masses of people who watch sport, they do so as a social experience. And it isn't a social experience online. You can add the bells and whistles, make it more interactive. You can have a group of us like now all watching the same thing, communicating with each other. But that's a very configured, structured, and artificial process. So the technology I was looking at, because I think the developments we're talking about now are all happening anyway, and they're gonna happen more. And for the gaming community that are coming up, that's a very natural, it's a natural development. They're all gamers, they're all used to fiddling around online on their own, maybe talking to somebody in Chicago, playing an American football game or whatever. But for the great number of people, they wanna get back to the social experience. It's not the quality of the football. It's the experience of walking down with your mate, going to the pub, having a drink, watching the game, talking about it afterwards on your way back home. If you strip that away, I believe that sport will become long-term decline, as well as the fact the product will not be as good. If it's played in empty stadiums that are nice and sterile and clean and safe, there's no atmosphere. And the players won't play as well if there's no atmosphere. So double whammy on the quality of the product. So all of these are interim solutions because there's all this uncertainty. I mean, what we need to talk about is the technology to get us back into 
a, a stadia because we're not going to tear all the stadiums down and say they're redundant now because we can't come together in social groupings ever again just in case that's ridiculous um, uh, so the key to me about it is is passports you know health passports that monitors us monitors where we've been to say we're safe we can come into the venue now it isn't the the 2008 financial crash was mentioned, but I don't think that's the right analogy. The right analogy is 9-11. Is in 9-11, every plane in the world stopped, literally. I was on three planes on 9-11 between Midlands, uh, East Midlands Airport, Glasgow, Manchester, Heathrow, and Johannesburg. All happened on 9-11. And everywhere around the world, the plane stopped. And everybody then wondered, would we go back on planes? The whole experience of being on a plane in 2000 is completely different from what it is now. We just put up with all this endless queuing, security, all of these uh, technologies we have to go through to prove we're not carrying a knife, we're not a bomber, et cetera, et cetera. So I think our experience of how we consume live sport will change. They'll be more intrusive uh, in terms of, you know, I've, I've seen reference to health passports. People are out now already selling that. There'll be other things that we'll need to do. This, you know, people will be monitoring where people have been and all of that. How does it affect it? But I think we have to get back to that because I think professional sport as a consumption without crowds and the players and the interaction and the social side of it will be a far inferior product. But that may be, I'm not a gamer. And, and I can see my grandson do it and he loves it and he can do it for many, many hours on end. So maybe that whole generation will come through and for them it'll be perfectly natural. But for my generation, without the social interaction, I don't know if I could be bothered. And will I watch it? I watched, I watched a couple of the European matches in behind the closed doors. It was boring. Mm. I can I thought it was incredibly boring. It was the same players. It was uh, Milan playing somebody or other. It was boring. Why no atmosphere? It's like watching all of these late night uh, comedians on American TV with no studio audience. It's boring. Interesting. So yeah, I think um, there's definitely a, a fair perspective. The the ambient sound of knowing that you're part of a community, you're part of other people watching it. You have the bars, you have the energy. You know, real life energy uh, counts for a lot, and it does kind of get lost. And the songs, the songs, the chanting, the opposition fans. It's it's part of the passion, isn't it? It's part of what literally builds your your affinity to a club, to a sport, to get involved with all those nuances that maybe the fans of other clubs don't know your songs, and so you feel even more a part of something. Um, from from my perspective, there's uh, uh, my housemate is involved uh, at Arsenal Football Club, and he is part of their their social media, their content team. I was talking to him about. Okay, now there's no sports going on. How do you continue to engage your fans? Do you start to get your players to create content that talks about community aspects? You know, the Highbury and Islington area, 
are you know super devout to Arsenal Football Club? Can you start championing the people around the area and have more community-focused content? Then I started thinking. I was like, well, if these big clubs, whether it's um, you know in the the Premiership, whether it's in the NBA, wherever it is, if they create these huge content hubs of kind of peripheral content, when you go back onto sports, who manages that? How can you upkeep that? And is it dangerous to then create that sort of channel and then just switch it off when sports come back? Um, so there, there is definitely a toss-up on to how to engage people at the moment, but how to do it in a way that leads back into, as Antonio was saying, you know, the, the resuming of, of the sports um, as, it, as it needs to happen at some point. Uh, I'll go to Antonio on that point actually as well. Um, could you imagine uh, an, an LA Lakers game without fans? Um, I mean, what do you see in terms of the technology to help clubs like in the NBA to, to advance um, and be able to take how their model progresses to the next stage? You know, based on my experience, I cannot imagine that. But if you ask me two months ago if I can imagine the world, you know, frozen by a pandemic where all the countries have the people in their houses, I also told you that I couldn't imagine that. So our world is progressing and changing at the so high speed that we cannot really predict what is going to be next. Actually, 50 years ago, you know, the only way to experience a professional sports event was attending the the game live, you know, uh, in the arena, in the stadium. Uh, presently, you can uh, do it, uh, you know, online, you know, watching the game, not just on TV, also on internet, uh, WhatsApping with your friends uh, who are in very far uh, places uh, about the game, uh, or uh, uh, tweeting, you know, uh, by Twitter experience. So the, game, the, the world is changing so quickly, so fast, that uh, I can... At the present moment, and based on my mentality, I cannot uh, expect that. I can, I can imagine, you know, one game, uh, one professional game, one competitive game without the atmosphere of, you know, the fans pushing for, it, uh, for their own team or, you know, uh, cheering. So, but uh, as I told you, two months ago, uh, nobody of us could imagine that the, the, the whole planet could be frozen, you know, uh, everybody locked down at home and the economy, everything was stopped. So if you think about that, you have to be very open-minded about the, the what is going to be next. And as um, others say, and, you know, these virtual games, virtual online games are being very successful during the lockdown. Uh, for example, in the NBA, there are everyday competitions between players, you know, who play this NBA 2K, this uh, virtual game. And then the pro players play on, uh, online, so there are bets about who is going to win. So, uh, based on our present and, you know, our previous mentality, I couldn't imagine uh, this, uh, this type of experience of uh, pro sports, you know, competitive sports, high-level sports, uh, played without attendance, playing without atmosphere. But, as I told you, uh, if any of us was asked, not uh, two years or not 20 years, just Two months ago, can you imagine that the whole planet could be, you know, locked down at home, uh, having very small activity, very, you know, uh, reduced uh, uh, social activity? Uh, and no one of us could even imagine that. And then we are experiencing a completely different world 
where we have to be uh, extremely open-minded to understand that uh, everything is changing and uh, the next step can be something that we never imagined in the past. Samir, I mean, uh, I'm agree with, with, with Antonio. I mean, every, every uh, strange situation changed the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's how it is. I mean, uh, the, the way that uh, Z generation of centennials are consuming sports are completely different than the way that we are consuming. I mean, yep. they don't understand the, the, the way to go to the stadium. They want highlights and that's it. I mean, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very as simple as that. And just always, I'm using the same example. Can you imagine if somebody would told me 10 years ago that I would share um, a car with an strange guy, I would say never. <laughs> How can I go with a, a car that from somebody else? Never at all. But now I'm only using Uber. <laughs> so, so or I would sleep in a bedroom from somebody else? No, oh, come on. So now people does. So it's, you know, said Antonio, world is changing so quick and everything and, and, and every time things are changing quicker. Interesting. So, I mean, yourself, you've, you've innovated a, a system that helps um, players around the world get, get funding um, to, to help their careers. But the challenges that we're sort of talking about here, um, as well as funding, there's interaction with games, there's uh, support for the changes in the industry as well, and how you know, sponsorships might happen, how clubs interact with their fans, the content that they, they push out. Are there any specific technology advances that you can see that help the interaction of fans and sports and their clubs away from funding perhaps but more in terms of being involved with the activities of of the game itself um, especially if people can't be there at the start is there anything you can think of that might help people feel more part of the game like Kevin's saying is such a, a requirement without necessarily being allowed to be there I mean, in, in my opinion, I think for, for uh, if I'm saying what I'm, I'm thinking uh, now, it's a, it's interesting time because there is a mixture of, let's call the group of uh, Z generation with millennials with the rest. Okay, the rest with we understand the sports in one way, so and our demand is different. Okay, and millennials, centennials are looking in the, their, their demands are different. So. If I would have to build something, I would focus on centennials and millennials because then I can have you know a long-term business. Okay, so if if I if I knew the solution, I would already have it. <laughs> so <laughs> makes makes perfect sense. Uh, it's interesting, right? On the the global scale, um, it's very very fine to be able to. Or for younger generations, they do, as you say, they want the snapshot content. They want to know out of a 90-minute game, they're willing to watch six minutes and see all the highlights and they know what happened. And that's on the big scale. But for somebody perhaps like Kevin, the fans who come to watch your games at the Leicester Riders, they're not just looking for highlights because it's more than just consuming the stats for them. It's about being a part of something. Yeah. So where... I, I, it, it, that's right. It's a rela it's a relationship. Can I just can I just again, not wanting to be too controversial, but again, Please. you can create you can create any business if you're looking at the niche. I'm not looking at the niche. I'm looking at the bigger picture. Who sustains England cricket? It's guys my age. It's old men. 
That's the generation who are paying the money for the tickets. If you're saying, okay, LeBron or any of these players are superstars, how do you get the next level of stars, the next Sadio Mane or whatever, only through the lower leagues? How are they going to sustain themselves if we're going to have this long-term social interaction? So you can do anything for a period of time. You can focus on one bit of the market or one generation, X or Z or whoever you like. But I'm looking at the big picture. The big picture says we have to get back to social interaction. The mental issues people will have if they're sustained long-term in an isolated position doesn't bear thinking about. The deaths from coronavirus will pale into insignificance if people are cooped up and prevented long-term. All over 70s, you're at risk. Stay on your own at home. That's a ridiculous solution to the problem. So I'm back to, yes, these are short-term problems, but if we want to sustain our sport and our stars, where do the stars come from? And can those stars be developed through online streaming technology. Maybe they could, but it would be a very, very different way of doing it than we're doing it at the moment. So your traditional football in this country, you know, the player is grabbed by Berry Town's junior football team, and he works his way up, and he, they have little crowds at this, that, and the other, and they raise money through selling beer and part, you know, whatever to raise the money. Then he gets picked up by Man U, and again, there's you know a little economy around that and groups of people before he becomes Paul Pogda, who is now online and everybody can watch him. All of that ecosystem, that infrastructure, that economy, I cannot sustain itself by clever little technology solutions, in my opinion. Plus, as I said, you're writing off infrastructure <laughs> all these stadia that were built and and don't talk just in sport this is concert music entertainment you're wiping out a whole and will that be acceptable no that isn't an acceptable outcome so now what is the acceptable outcome what's the route for getting there then i'm back to things like passporting the point i was making about planes was we were all worried in 2001 not we but people in the airline industry would people ever fly again and people are worried now about, will people come out of their houses? Even if the government says, yeah, go ahead, it's all fine now, no problem. Off you go, back to work, you can the go to your pubs and so on. People, people are going to be sitting at home going, yeah, but I heard, I heard that somebody got ill. You know, there's a rumor, there'll be Twitter, there'll be fake news, etc. saying, oh, there's a little case. So you got to get past that situation. So what they did is they stuck a load of equipment on and now we go through all this process of getting on a plane and guess what air travel has gone through the roof we all put up with it we don't even think about it we just regard it as a nuisance nobody's going through it thinking well not nobody there's always a few but broadly people are thinking i might be blown up on this plane even though they have to go through all this security they're just saying oh yeah that's what we have to go through because something happened 20 years ago so i think We've got to think about it. Uh, we, we, we need to think about it like that. And at the end of the day, um, coronavirus has been exceptional, but we put up with 50,000 deaths a year from flu every year. We do put up with it. And 
we don't shut the economy. I'm not criticizing what they're doing because I don't think they had any choice, but we don't, you, you can see graphs, see, I looked at graphs of deaths in the UK per week, year by year by year from flu, and coronavirus has gone like that and up and across, and it's significantly worse. But nobody talks about the flu and saying, we can't go to that Rod Stewart concert. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a fair point. And I think there's definitely a different perspective as well from um, how to, to resume and interact, like uh, Antonio was saying, around huge crowds and then around small crowds. You need to keep the activity going. I think we'll, we'll, we'll close up in a, a couple of minutes because I know that we're, we're pushing on. But just for a final perspective from, from Jeremy, if I, if I may, um, the idea that as Kevin was saying, so much of um, the new players, the new stars, the new guys that Antonio might might take up uh, to the NBA as such will come from the lower leagues, will come from the de development of the sports in, in the more communities. Is there then uh, an opportunity for rights, for sponsorships, for partnerships with, with corporate deals when they do resume again to start looking at the more smaller uh, organizations and a technology to support the development of smaller organizations in pockets around the countries rather than a blanket strategy for example like should uh, should Reebok should Under Armour should Nike actually partner with 15 tiny little teams more than what they do at the moment because people are still able to go and watch the Leicester Riders because there's you know a thousand two thousand people there and they can't go and watch uh, United because there's 80,000 people there and that's still banned. Is that an opportunity? Is there technology to support kind of that, that advancement? Um, yeah, I think uh, just a couple of points first off. I, I, I would, uh, in response to your mate, I would argue watching Arsenal is a bit like watching a team playing behind closed doors every week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and uh, the reason COVID-19 has prospered is because we are by nature social animals and I don't think that is ever going to uh, is ever going to uh, uh, to change? I mean, there, there are uh, you know, I love data. There's been some amazing data over the last um, uh, few weeks and months. Um, you know, the at one point um, I, I've been. I, I'm a very social animal, by the way. I've done a few pub quizzes and the odd. Uh, I haven't done a virtual dinner. I think that's ridiculous. But um, uh, there was a question in one of the pub quizzes um, about on a particular day, what are the ten countries in the world that haven't yet uh, uh, COVID-19 and seven of them were the least visited countries in the world so air travel <laughs> are absolutely synonymous and, and we will get back on those planes and we need to find ways to uh, um, uh, to fight viruses because we will not we'll, I, I can guarantee we'll not stay indoors um, but I, I do think you know I found it interesting coming into the world of sports sponsorship because I spent the last 15 years in, in PR and communications. And one of the things that I was working hard to do was demonstrate the value of PR. Mm -hmm. I was quite surprised when I came to sports sponsorship to find that actually the work to measure and quantify and demonstrate effectiveness of sponsorship seemed to be even further behind in the world of, of PR and comms, which you know, it was a surprise and an opportunity. Mm -hmm. I, I do think that there are a lot of the same sponsors swilling around a lot of the same sorts of assets. And this is a, you know, the, the creation of digital rights and the breaking up of rights gives a great opportunity to democratize 
the uh, the whole um, sports sponsorship world. It gives opportunities for small clubs to to market their rights to small businesses who want to reach specific local um, audiences. So, uh, in answer to your question, yes, I do think this this um, presents an opportunity. Whether we'll grab it or not, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, it uh, um, you know one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. I suspect in a year's time, um, you know, once we've all got our vaccines, we'll kind of, we'll start to not forget, but very quickly go back to old habits. Mm. Uh, and, uh, uh, but uh, I think um, there are, uh, in terms of technologies, there are platforms out there that are looking to demo- democratize um, uh, the business of sports sponsorship that are looking to help um, little guys, you know, bypass expensive um, uh, intermediaries and just go straight to you know small brands and present them opportunities and I, I think that's great I think that will change the business for the better. Brilliant, brilliant. Well I think uh, we're, we're going to wrap things up there uh, going for, for quite a while. Um, definitely some, some amazing things to consider going forward in terms of what, the, oh sorry we will uh, also bring in Antonio yes. for some final thoughts as well. Please. Yes. Let me please bring one um, optimistic, you know, um, possibility about this uh, pandemic. Because uh, formerly my previous um, speech was about uh, how different can be the world and how worse is now than two months ago. But also looking back, you know, uh, if you see what happened on 1918 in a much, uh, much worse, but uh, you know, that the time uh, they are calculating about 50 million people died in the, in the whole planet because of that flu. Mm-hmm. And after that, the 20s, the, the decade of the 20s in the 20th century was one of the funniest and one of the best decades in the <laughs> history. So then uh, you can expect the worst and that happened the best or opposite, you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, at the present moment, the only thing the, the only thing we can be sure is that nothing is sure. So, I, uh, for sure, many things are being boosted during this time, especially technology, uh, all these online and all all these virtual things. Um, but uh, you know, uh, human beings are known by his uh, adaptation ability, and for sure, whatever is going to be the the outcome of uh, this uh, pandemic. And we are going to adapt. Uh, don't know what, what's going to be the, 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 the outcome, but uh, I'm pretty optimistic about uh, our species and how we are going to take the best of the new situation. I think that's a, a perfect note. We do, um, as rightly pointed out, we do notoriously uh, adapt. And yeah, when, when you think of some terrible situations, sometimes the best things can come from them. Uh, I, I don't have experiences of what happened back then, but. I'm, I'm sure it was a, an interesting time uh, following 1918. So yeah, I think there's uh, valid points to be made there that the whatever the evolution brings and the technologies, whether it is esports or virtual gaming, whether it is um, kind of online streaming and downloading of content, or if it is fans and audiences watching from different places, uh, we will likely as, as a community, uh, human beings, but especially in sports adapt because um, as I think everybody has pointed out here today, people aren't going to stop watching sports and people aren't going to stop wanting to go to be a part of sports and be a part of the communities. So in whichever ways that we will be driven to do that, whether it's forgetting this uh, next year when, as Jeremy said, we're, we're all kind of under the vaccine and going back to old habits, 
um, what additions we have at those points will be very interesting to, to see. Perhaps we'll all be sat at local basketball games or, or pro basketball games, EPL games, with, with a phone in our hand at the same time. I'm, I'm unsure. Uh, Jeremy, is there, is there one final? Very, very quick point. Can you, uh, imagine the 10 greatest sporting moments of all time and imagine them without the fans. What would they have been like? Pretty rubbish. I mean, imagine the hand of God with, with no with no video. <laughs> want to say we were there. <laughs> Nobody, uh, isn't that true? You know, as a storytelling uh, exercise, to be able to say I was there, I even know in my kitchen, uh, in my parents' house, there's two plates from since 1982, the, the World Cup in Spain, right? Um, and they, they were at the finals. And they, they both always said to me and my sisters when they were young, they were like, see those plates? We were there. We were there. We bought them there. And it's because they were there, you know? So you're, you're, you're so right in saying the, the event. And I can tell you that the, the group of guys that went on those two tours still talk about them today. And we only want one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright, that, that's great um, we'll, we'll wrap this up now Because there's, uh, there's, there's fantastic uh, Ending points from all of you So um, thank you very much For everybody for joining us um, Thank you very much for everybody who's, who's Listened and tuned in, I hope you've got some great Insight, uh, just to recap again We were joined today by Kevin Routledge Who's the chairman of the Leicester Riders uh, BBL Basketball Club Antonio Macellas who is um, a scout, a uh, talent scout, and involved with the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, Jeremy Thompson, uh, who is the CEO of K2, uh, business intelligence and insights um, company specializing in sports. And of course, our co-founder, Samir Bhardwaj, um, and myself, Samir Ahmed.